Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrooks. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast with me, Sam Matterface, TalkSport's Chief Football Correspondent, Alex Crook and Crystal Palace legend, Darren Ambrose, who's certainly glad all over after the weekend that they've had. Coming up on the programme, City closed the gap to Arsenal after the Gunners slip up at Liverpool. A bad weekend for officiating. The PGMOL forced to apologise to Brighton and Andrew Robertson gets the elbow from the Lino. What? And at the bottom of the table, Leicester sink deeper into relegation trouble and Jesse Marsh turns them down. It's all on the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. Hello, Crookie, you all right? I'm good, yeah, apart from the fact I've spent Sunday night with Darren Ambrose and now we're here on Monday morning and he's back again. It's all a bit too familiar. I've got bad news for you because um, Darren Ambrose is going to work with us on the White and Jordan show on Tuesday morning as well. So the three of us not only have spent Sunday afternoon uh, conversing, Monday conversing and Tuesday as well. So, uh, you know, we're going to have to uh, ensure that he's on top of his game. But I think he's, he's in a pretty good place this weekend after Newcastle and Crystal Palace both got stunning results. Smiles everywhere, Darren? Absolutely smiles everywhere. It was smiles for me to come on and work with you two once again, Crookie. I enjoyed yesterday. Uh, I'll enjoy today and I'll enjoy tomorrow. So you may feel differently, but I certainly don't. <laughs> we didn't mention Tottenham, but then again, uh, they never put smiles on anyone's faces, do they? Uh, let's start with Liverpool against Arsenal. What a thrilling game it was at Anfield. Unbelievable save from Aaron Ramsdale. This is so end-to-end. I think there's about 20 seconds left on the clock. Ramsdale has just made two stunning stops. One of them from Canate at the back post from Van Dijk's knockdown. One of them a few seconds earlier from a Mo Salah shot that got deflected. And he had to leap high to his right and somehow tip it around the post. If Arsenal come away from this game with a point, they'll be gutted. But they'll have their goalkeeper to thank for it, if I'm honest, because he has made three stunning stops in this second half. Yeah, it's another step in the right direction, I would say. It's like the first time for a long time that we reacted really well. On a, or we didn't fall apart and uh, that could have happened with everything that happened this year already. It was now, OK, 1-0, well, 2-0 and the next chance is 3-0 um, and um, it didn't happen. Action-packed, plenty to talk about. One of the games of the season and it finishes all square. Liverpool 2, Arsenal 2. It's chaos, it's a lot of balls in your box, it's difficult to get out of those situations and then you have to suffer. And we rely on big defensive moments where Aaron took a big part of it uh, and they missed the penalty. And then we could have nicked the game because we have three huge situations on the counter that they are overloaded or we are two against two. And we miss as well that ruthlessness to, to take the game. So looking at the two halves probably is, is a fair result. Uh, you have to take it, um, and the big lesson is play the way we, we play the first half. Well, I was at this match, and it was just absolutely scintillating. From the minute the whistle went, in fact, from the minute the players came out, the atmosphere was terrific at Anfield, and the game was just brilliant. I mean, Arsenal were fantastic for the first 25 minutes, 30 minutes, and then Liverpool took over, put them under the cosh. Arsenal just about survived as well, and they prevented Arsenal from extending their winning run to eight games. Um, this is despite the fact that they led for 79 minutes. A lot was made, actually, during um, the analysis of this game about Xhaka and Trent Alexander-Arnold's clash. Uh, you, you saw that, right? OK, so this is happening probably about sort of midway through the first half. Arsenal 2 new up at the time. Um, now, I'm not sure this was the only thing that turned the tide in this game. But 
it reminded me of something that happened a year ago. And I went back to have a look um, at the statistics. I don't know if you remember the game between these two last year when it was nil-nil. It was quite sedate, pretty even, up at Anfield. Arsenal had gone up there. Mikel Arteta then started on Jurgen Klopp around about the 33rd minute. Then six minutes later, the blood was up, the energy was up around the stadium. And in the end, it finished 4 0 to uh, Liverpool. They'd scored the goal just a few minutes after Arteta had started on Klopp. On reflection, did they l- fail to learn their lesson from last year? That if you spike up the Arsenal, uh, the Liverpool crowd, then eventually you're going to suffer under the weight of their pressure. Darren? Yes, I think they, they made that mistake. I think we spoke about this on the boot room. It, it, sometimes it doesn't take a goal. Sometimes it doesn't take a chance. It takes that one situation, a, a tackle. I played with Tyrone Mings at, at Ipswich and he was very good at it. He'd put in a, a crunching tackle and the crowd would lift immediately. And I think there was no need for Xhaka to get involved. There was no need. It, it, OK, he barged him off the ball, but then to square up to him, it lifted the crowd. I agree with you. I don't think it was the only occasion. I think maybe the penalty miss as well got the crowd going because they knew they were back in the game. But yes, absolutely. There's, these situations raise the crowd. And particularly at home at Anfield, that, that big supportive crowd got on side and Liverpool didn't look back then. And they, they were then the, the best side for the, for the following hour. Is that a bad experience, Crook? Yeah, possibly. Uh, I think naivety is the word that I would use, but I do think it was a, a, a massive turning point because, as you say, it just got the crowd immersed in the game. It got the Liverpool players fired up as well. I still can't work out where I stand on the result. A point away from home at Anfield, given Arsenal's record, is not terrible. But 2-0 up against this Liverpool side, I think really they should be seeing it out. And then the flip side is that without Aaron Ramsdale, who was terrific in the second half, and without Salah putting a penalty wide, they'd have lost the game. So I guess we'll only find out at the end of the season how pivotal a result it is. But what we can say is it was absolutely absorbing and fantastic for you to be there and fantastic for us to be drinking in at the studio. Yeah, I mean, they haven't won at Anfield since 2012. So I think they'll probably say we would have taken a point before the start of the game. And also, when you look at the what happened after they'd gone 2-0 up. They faced 19 shots from inside their own box. Ramsdale's made a series of outstanding saves. Um, I think they probably will be happy with the point, won't they, Darren, when, when they sort of look at it in the cold light of day? I said this immediately after the game. I said that was a point gained for Arsenal. Um, I, I understand they were 2-0 up, of course, but they were 2-0 up after half an hour in, in the match and a, a football match lasts 90 minutes. And 2-0 is an easy result to turn around because as soon as you get that one goal, momentum swings your way immediately. The confidence in the opposing team drops. They drop off. They start defending to try and defend the 2-0 lead. But Liverpool had the momentum, had, had the... Uh, you know, they were they were going forward. They were creating chances, as, as you said. They missed a penalty. And in the end, I think they should have won the game. I think Aaron Ramsdale was man of the match. And it was, like like Crookie said, it was a fantastic game of football. One that we thoroughly enjoyed. But I say Arsenal. That was a point gained at the end of that match. A couple of uh, good chances for Arsenal in the second half as well. Uh, Gabriel had a brilliant chance from a, a, a set piece, which he should have planted the header beyond uh, Alisson, but didn't. Um, so it wasn't all one-way traffic, but I think Mikel Arteta will look at that and think, OK, dust ourselves down and go. It doesn't mean that Manchester City are now favourites with the bookmakers. Tactically, it was fascinating, wasn't it? Because Klopp tried to do a pep crook. <laughs> I think tactics went out of the window in the end. Listening to Henry Winter on Breakfast on Monday, and he was saying it was nice that nobody was talking about XG, false number nines, fullbacks playing into midfield, although, as you say, Klopp did try that. In the end... <laughs> It just became a basketball match. And do you know what? I think we're going to see a lot of that between now and the end of the season because this year is so unique with so many teams all playing for something. I think we're going to see lots of open games where draws aren't particularly beneficial to anybody and teams going toe-to-toe. I think we're going to see a lot of exhilarating games like that between now and the end of the campaign. Yeah, I think there's been the eternal question for Jurgen Klopp, which has been, what do I do with Trent Alexander-Arnold? So yesterday, an imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, Darren. Uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold was recalled to the team. He went wandering into central midfield like Pep's fullbacks occasionally do. For the first half, he looked like a fish out of water. The game was passing him by for large portions of it. 
when he was in the right-back situation, Aaron Ramsdale was picking the ball up in his hands and just kicking it out towards that left wing, targeting him. Martinelli was going up against him. Canate had to go out towards that right-hand side and end up having to deal with Martinelli. That left a gap in the middle. It looked like it was causing a major problem. It almost felt, and I felt a bit sorry for Trent alexander because so much is placed on his inability to defend or his lack of nous when it comes to defending that actually now teams are properly targeting him. It feels a little bit like bullying. I, I agree. I, I felt sorry for him. I think it didn't work, the formation. It didn't work, the plan. It made Trent Alexander-Arnold look even more out of position than, than he does when he is uh, solely at right back. I mean, we see two different sides of Trent in that match. And that was, as you said... Um, you know, out of uh, rabbit out of headlights. You know, couldn't get into the game um, in the first half. Was drifting inside, out of position. They were targeting him, but then the second half, when when he was put back in his rightful position, he was running forward. He nutmeg Zinchenko set up the the, the Liverpool equaliser. I think that is the Trent Alexander yep. Arnold that everyone wants to see. That's the Trent that that Jurgen Klopp knows. that That's why I don't think he's that fussed about him being out of position or that his defensive responsibilities because he knows what he gives going forward. But when a team like Arsenal and Martinelli in particular target um, a, a fullback like Trent Alexander-Arnold, it does bring out his frailties and it certainly did in that first half. Just on Zinchenko, what, what do we make of the fact that he was in tears on the on the dugout? I mean... There's still eight games to go. There's still six points clear at the top of the table. Again, if I'm Manchester City, I'm using that as motivation that the pressure is beginning to get to Arsenal a little bit. And bearing in mind, he's one of their more experienced players in this scenario. Not sure about that. He's the winner. He's the one that was brought in to drive them over the line. He's the one that told them in the dressing room, hey, you can win the title. Um, but, you know, like, listen, when you make a prediction like that really early in the season and it starts to fall away and tears start to come, trust me, when that Nottingham Forest result came in, uh, on Saturday afternoon. There was a few tears in my eyes as well. Um, right, Arsenal were accused of the uh, sort of delaying the restarts and the dark arts. And, and that's the kind of sort of nous that they're going to need, actually, isn't it? You, you like the dark arts, Crook. I, you're, you're a dark arter, I think, when you're playing football. I don't Rather mind them people, in, in certain scenarios. And, and yeah, I think maybe maybe they do need to bring that into their game. But maybe that would take away a bit of their innocence. You know, the, the best thing about this Arsenal team is they are likeable. They are young. They are fearless. So if they start doing any of those sort of tricks, then then maybe that would take away a little bit of uh, our admiration. It's a weird situation, I think, for a lot of people to be in because I think we all know that for the greater good, Arsenal winning the Premier League is the right outcome. But we also all know those Arsenal fans who are going to be unbearable if they do get it done. So it's, it's a real moral dilemma. Yeah, it's it's one of those where, especially if you like me and you grew up in London and everybody was an Arsenal fan, a gloating Arsenal fan, winning titles, going to European finals. And when I was a kid, obviously, my team were rubbish. So I can hear the echoes of 88, 89, 90, 91 all over again uh, coming back to, to, to haunt me. Um, look, we, we spoke about likeable players we spoke about dark arts and a couple of weeks ago we called for a big ban for Alex Mitrovic when he put his hands on the referee so we have to be fair and say that Constantine Hatsidakis the lino is in big trouble Andy Robertson may well have started the confrontation but the linesman certainly finished it um I mean what on earth overcame him Darren Ambrose and what would you have done in that situation if you were Andy Robertson um, I mean, this one here is a really strange one. They have to review all the footage, all the angles. Um, there's definitely going to be a, a huge ban coming his way, the, the official. But I, I, as you said, Robertson looked like he started it. There's no excuse to do what happened. It seemed like a real, just the timing and, and the confusion in the situation where Robertson had grabbed him. It looked like he went to shrug him off and he's hit his elbow into his face. The pictures look awful and I think like I said there's gonna be a big ban I don't think it should be sacked I don't think anything like that but as you said when we're calling for Mitrovic eight games isn't enough some people were saying so then if that was a player doing it on the opposite on the official I think you'd be calling for 15 20 game ban so it's such a mixed reviews mixed opinions on this situation Robertson put his hands on him to start with kind of looked like he went to drag him back he shrugged him off elbowed him in the face I mean, the, the game was such a it's great game really. and to be tarnished with that. 
it's not really the sort of retaliation that you expect, is it? I mean, I tickled your elbow, so you smacked it in my face. It's not like, it's not proportionate anyway, is it? I mean, there is part of you that's going, what, what made you do that? I mean, I wondered, actually, what Constantine Hatsidakis does in his day-to-day life, because he looks like quite a handy guy, doesn't he? So I wonder whether mm. or not if he's some sort of ninja or uh, like some sort of like super spy. And actually, this is all refereeing stuff is just cover. And because he was, he's so used and his senses are so in tuned, a bit like Ross from Friends, you know, in Nagi and all that, uh, that he just sort of had to react because it was just like instinctive for him. Um, it's amazing though, isn't it, right? Because Paul Tierney would have known this at halftime. I mean, remember when Robertson goes up to him and tells him that the lineups elbowed me in the face and Paul Tierney just sort of laughs and says, oh, shut up, go away, as if it's like the most ridiculous thing ever. Paul Tierney then goes into the dressing room. Someone's definitely told him, by the way, yeah, yeah, the Alino's just smacked Randy Robertson in the face. What can he do? He has to deny it like he's never seen it, doesn't know what happens because you can't send off the Lino. And you can't bring the fourth official to be the lino and then put him as the fourth official because then he's right in the middle of the two dugouts. <laughs> I mean, it's it's like an unprecedented situation. There's nothing that Paul Tierney can do about that. And if you're Howard Webb watching that, you've had a bad enough weekend anyway with what happened at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. <laughs> you're just thinking, <laughs> why always me? I mean, it was incredible. <sighs> Listen, I think we do need to condemn Andy Robertson. He, he did approach the, the lino quite aggressively. But the, the reaction was strange. You know, you expect officials to be above that kind of behaviour. And I think he will, unfortunately, in, in some respects, get the book thrown at him. Yeah, I'm going to have to. I'm, I'm just going to lay it on the line here. There is some profession. There's some sort of training. There's some sort of, it must have been in the army or something. There's some sort of instinctive, hmm. sort of innate a preparation here that has led to that elbow coming out. There's, there's, there's got to be. There's got to be an excuse for it. Um, because otherwise it makes absolutely no sense and it's going to send my brain exploding. Uh, Southampton 1, Manchester City 4. Crook, well, you were at this game, were you? I was, and uh, Manchester City were incredible. Um, standout performances. Erling Haaland touched the ball twice, scores... Uh, sorry, touched the ball 12 times, scores twice. The second, an absolutely extraordinary finish. Kevin De Bruyne, who, who I don't think has been... Quite the same Kevin De Bruyne for a lot of the season. He is now, he is firing nicely. And Jack Grealish, um, you know, we all questioned the £100 million transfer fee at the end of last season. He looks like a Manchester City player now. He looks like he's really in tune with what Pep Guardiola wants. And I think it's great news for them. I think there's every chance that they could win every game between now and the end of the season. They're playing that well. John Stone's coming into midfield. That, that innovative system that Pep has deployed I've only got superlatives for Manchester City. I thought they were extraordinary. It's okay. You can backtrack if you want. It's all right. Congratulations to Kevin De Bruyne. Still having a bad season for Crook, but becomes the fastest player to 100 Premier League assists. Giggs got 30, uh, 367 games to do it, um, for context. Lampard, 559. De Bruyne, 237. The Amazing. guy's a genius. He's a genius. You should. I can't even believe you need to put respect on the boy's name, Crook. You need to He's be apologising as well. It, him. He just keeps going and going and going, and he's a bit deceptive because he doesn't look like he's that quick. But he's a bit like Teddy Sheringham in that respect. It's all done up top, isn't it? The speed is in the brain as opposed to the legs. Still no apology. Still no apology. You can say you got it wrong. It's okay. I have high standards. Right. I have high standards. I spoke to him the other week, and I mentioned about the fact that people have been criticising him, and he just went. Well, the manager keeps picking me every week. So uh, even though he said a little bit of uh, an odd thing in a press conference, I never really took it seriously and cracked on. <laughs> I was like, I like this guy. You know what it is with him as well is he doesn't he doesn't only have the assist. I mean, he he should have he should have got the assist with Jack Grealish, but he ended up Jack Grealish hit the goalkeeper, bounced back to him, then he scored. That don't count as his assist. He does the first pass as well, so he sees the the pass that no one else sees, plays the through ball opens the whole pitch up and then Grealish, Mares, whoever will slide it across, Harlem will score. That essentially should count as, as an assist for Kevin De Bruyne because he's created the whole opportunity. So he is probably, if you counted those as assists, he's probably way ahead of 200 at the moment. I mean, like, like Crookie said, he's, a, he's an unbelievable football player, one of the best we've seen in the Premier League for sure. Darren, have you just invented a new metric for us to uh, measure? So like XG, like uh, assists, <laughs> like... Uh, 
Um, the def- what is it? Passes per defensive action, which is uh, yeah. he's one of my favourites. Pre-assist. Um, I, the, the pre-assist. The pre-assist invented by Ambrose. <laughs> Quick trade market now, whatever you do. Um, Erling Haaland. What, I mean, what's wrong with this guy? He's not even trying to blend in as an actual human, is he? He's just like literally playing the role of cyborg. He did miss a chance, though, on, on Saturday. He missed a header at the far post. Outrageous. From, from close range. Having a bad so, season. So he is human. He is human. Now, listen, you're right. They've got, obviously, uh, Bayern in the Champions League on Tuesday. A little stat for you. I think he scored five goals in seven games when he was at Dortmund against Bayern Munich. He lost every one. So I'm sure he's going to be on a personal mission to make sure that run of defeats doesn't continue in the Champions League this week. Yeah, I was prepping for the Bayern game last night and it's a very tight squad with no Foden in it. And the options are a little bit more limited than maybe you would expect from a Manchester City team because of the sales that they've made. Of course, Jao Cancelo can play in this game for Bayern Munich against Manchester City, despite the fact that he's on loan. They've got a lot of experience, but not as much depth as you would expect. What do you expect them to face when they play um, Bayern on Tuesday night, Darren? Uh, a different side to uh, the league campaign for Bayern, although they're, they're top of the league. I think their league changed when they beat uh, Dortmund the other the other week. Um, but I, I, I just, I, I think with Man City, they've got a mental block in this competition. And I think with Erling Haaland, as Crookie said, got a great goal scoring record against Bayern Munich. They've got that extra, they've got that something different. But I expect this to be a very tight game. I don't see this going two, three, four goals either side um, of, of this competition because they've got some great, they've got some great players, Bayern Munich. And as I said, the mental block that Manchester City seem to have on the Champions League needs to end, but they're coming up against a fantastic side who's going to, they're going to win their league again, in my opinion. They've got the back of a, a, another good result. I think Freiburg, they, they beat them. Um, so yeah, I think this is going to be a fantastic football match. One of the things that Pep always seems to do in his big games, Crook, is mess around with a team, right? But at the moment, he seems to have a really settled side, especially that back three of Akanji, Diaz and Ake. And Stones wandering into midfield alongside Rodri, Gundogan playing very well as well. I mean, to disrupt that now, and I don't think they've got many options to be able to do that anyway, but to disrupt that now would be a little bit unwise, I think. Maybe that's a positive, though. You, you were mentioning about the fact maybe the squad isn't as deep as it, it has been historically. Maybe that's to their advantage because if you look at teams competing on multiple fronts down the years, you kind of know the 11 they're going to pick. They get into rhythm. They get the momentum that Manchester City are building. So I think you'll probably name the same 11 against Bayern Munich. And I disagree with Darren slightly. Bayern do have some good individuals, but those individuals aren't necessarily firing on all cylinders. Sadio Mane, for example, has had injury problems. He's not quite hit the heights he did at Liverpool. Leroy Sane missed a couple of big chances at the weekend. Of course, he's going to be fired up against his former club. But Thomas Tuchel hasn't really had that bounce effect that you would expect. They lost in the cup to Freiburg. I actually think Manchester City could win this first leg with a little bit in hand if they play as well as they have been because they've been scoring goals for fun in the last six or seven weeks. Tuchel did walk in the door and they won the Classica 4-2 um, against uh, by, uh, Borussia Dortmund, which is important for them because it just sort of puts a bit of distance between them and their nearest rivals for the title. But they've got Jamal Musiala, Leroy Sane, Serge Gnabry, João Cancelo, Joshua Kimmich, uh, Leon Goretzka. They've got players there that can cause you problems. There's no doubt about that. Um, word on Southampton, rooted to the bottom of uh, the table. Ruben Sellers talking a little bit like a, a man who doesn't realise that you can get relegated. Sometimes, like, you know, American sports, like you, you can't get relegated. Ruben Sellers hasn't realised that he's not managing the Miami Dolphins. Um, they're working well. We're trying to show those connections that we need, he says. Uh, the last bits, they're going to get there for us. We keep the boys believing and keep working hard. Every game is big. We tried to win today. Uh, does he know that it's over? Well, he also said that they're trying to build an identity. Uh, I would suggest that when you're bottom of the table, four points drift of safety with eight games to go, now isn't the time to build an identity. Listen, I like Ruben Sellers as a person. I'm not sure Southampton have really kicked on as much as they would have wanted when they made the decision to get rid of Nathan Jones after that foul experiment. But I'll copy and paste what we said last week. Southampton are doomed. They've got a horrible run of fixtures. They don't score any goals. And they're going to be a championship team next season. And there's an awful lot of questions for Sport Republic and Rasmus Ankerson, the sporting director in particular, to answer. Because this was a club 
who, despite not really being backed in the transfer market under Ralph Hardenhut or Martin Simmons, the chief executive, kept their head above water in terms of the Premier League. They change the ownership structure. They try and change the model. They spend money and they end up rock bottom of the table. So it's been a disaster. Yeah, the first question might well be on the AGM agenda. What were you doing? Well, we'll be talking Leicester uh, shortly. We might ask that question as well. They sit second from bottom and they've been turned down by Jesse Marsh. But next, we'll discuss a refereeing disaster class in North London. I refuse to accept that Spurs won this game. Like so many of their like 16 wins this season. I Listen, you can scoff at it, but I don't think they won this game. I mean, Darren Ambrose is a massive uh, Spurs fan, right? Yep. So you like, I've seen them over the course of this season. 16 wins this campaign. What? Four of them have been because they've played really well. I mean, they have a huge slice of fortunes over and over again over the course of this season. And I say slices. I mean, we talk about VAR failures. But what about the approach as well from Spurs? You've got to talk about the fact that they're just not playing good football. They're so lucky. 17 shots from Brighton, 9 for Spurs, 35% possession at home in their own stadium. They had to be handed the three points. Brighton could have had three extra goals in this game. Should have had three extra goals in this game. Top four, you're having a laugh, aren't you? They got lucky, uh, extremely lucky. And I, it has to be said, as you said, I'm a, I'm a huge Spurs supporter. And I said this again uh, when we was on the show with, with Crookie. It's it's unacceptable what's going on with the VAR at the moment. And it's unacceptable what happened. Brighton were robbed of this game. Absolutely. No doubt about it. Am I going to moan at the end of the season if Spurs make the top four by two points? No, I'm not. I'm going to look They're at that and be absolutely delighted. They're not making the top four. Uh, a lot, of, pe- a lot of people are telling me that. A lot of people are telling me that. But they seem to just come out. They they grind out results in the worst football way possible. It's not a joy to watch. They're lucky. The uh, um, Joe Lewis, the Enoch group, Daniel Lever, they're lucky that that stadium is full every week, every home game, because the dire football that's coming out of that stadium at the moment, it has to be said. It has to be called out. They've got Stellini, who is the number two of Antonio Conte. So he's not going to play any differently. He's coming out saying, expect more defensive football. If it wasn't for Harry Kane this season... I dread to think where Spurs would be. I think they'd be in the bottom half of the table. Um, and particularly Son as well at the, in the game against Brighton. If it wasn't for him, we wouldn't have even had a chance to, to win that game. We are lucky we've got a couple of fantastic, if not world-class football players. Otherwise, we'd be sitting down with, with, where, well, with Chelsea and Crystal Palace in, in the bottom half of the table. He's very bullish now. Uh, Darren Ambrose, but when I put to him in the office on Sunday afternoon that I was not pleased because obviously I've got a soft spot for Brighton, but I was more worried about Brighton challenging for the top four than I am about Spurs. So if there was going to be a winner, actually, I didn't mind it being Tottenham. And he started to challenge me to a bet when it came to the top four. And then when I said, OK, let's have a, a financial <laughs> flutter, he bottled it. The, the the flutter was taking Crookie for dinner, so I thought no, I'd ra- I'd rather have a, a, a small wager to be honest, not take Crookie to dinner. But no, I, I think th- the reason <laughs> he made a lot as a footballer that Darren fit- Ambrose, but not that much. <laughs> <laughs> I think the reason the reason Crookie that I was saying it is because, as Sam rightly said, sixteen games, most of them wasn't deserved the the, the sixteen victories that that Spurs have had. So they're just grinding out results some way or another. And to beat Brighton was huge. Even though Brighton should have won the game, they were robbed of the game with the decisions. To, to, to get the three points, it doesn't matter that, that they didn't deserve yeah. it. They have the three points on the board. They, they, they didn't grind out the result. They won the lottery. No, they didn't <laughs> grind out anything. They, 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 they were so bad that they didn't even grind out the result. They just got given it. It was like someone said, Look, OK, all right. <laughs> this is this is unfair. We're just going to give you a result. Uh, no fewer than five decisions Brighton were up in arms about. And Howard Webb has had to apologise over the Hoybier tackle on Matoma not being awarded as a pen. I actually think there were three nailed on, blatant, wrong decisions in this game. The, the worst was the long lay shirt pull on Lewis Dunk. I mean, it is the most obvious penalty you have ever seen. The Matoma one especially after you've seen it, 
in uh, slow-mo and you've watched the replay, so the VAR's got to spot that. The disallowed goal for handball, um, where it hits McAllister on the hip, Welbeck's effort hits the hip of uh, McAllister and goes in. I think you can't rule that out because there's no clear evidence that it hits the hand. It just hits the side of the hip. So that's that's a goal. Listen, if it hits his hand, that's different. But I don't think that the evidence is there to suggest that, that it's hit his hand. So that's a goal. So that's three nailed-on decisions. Now, I have to explain that the Matoma one where he chests the ball down and it hits the side of his arm and then he sends it into the back of the net, that's handball. Now, I know that people will look at it and say it's not handball, but like if you're watching the YouTube podcast now, I'm going to put a little graphic up on the side of the screen which shows you that they changed the advice on the T-shirt line during the summer of 2022 to define that the T-shirt line is not really the T-shirt line. It's the bottom of the armpit crease. So it's a lot higher up. This is where it's supposed to be, up here. And it hits blatantly down here on his arm. And I think Darren Can, who is a very good assistant referee, spotted that straight away, flagged, and even pointed to the side of, of his arm. It is the upper arm, but it's not above the T-shirt line, according to law. So that one was right. The rest of them, guff. Just absolute guff. What on earth are you doing? I mean, wh what are you looking at? What replays are you looking at? Are you watching Netflix in there? Come on. Well, yeah, and there's a wider issue. You know, Brighton have built up quite a dossier of, of big decisions they feel have gone against them. Not only are they unsatisfied with the explanation from the PGMOL about some of those calls this weekend, including the sending off of De Zerbi, uh, by the way. His charge, I think, will be failing to control his bench. Brighton would argue, actually, he was doing the exact opposite of that. He was trying to diffuse the situation. Maybe reputation Which has gone against him. Which is because usually he's a hothead. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. And there you go. Um, maybe that's what the officials felt as well. Um, but I think they want an explanation about the wider issues that have gone against them this season. That would be quite unprecedented. It's not going to get them any points back. And that defeat probably ends their hopes of a, a top four finish. And that's why they feel so hard done by. But hold on, right? How can this be acceptable? How can this be acceptable? If it ends their top four hopes, that's robbing a team of over £100 million, potentially. They could get into the, the top four. That changes their identity as a club. Stop rubbing your hands with glee, Crystal Palace, man. I think you know, I just want to come back to saying they were given the result, Tottenham. I, I have to disagree with that. I think more that Brighton were the result was taken away from Brighton. They didn't give Son the opportunity to score a weldy from 25 yards. They didn't give Harry Kane opportunity to have a fantastic finish in the box. The referees, the VAR officials didn't give that. Brighton would have still had to score three goals to win that football match. So I do think Brighton were robbed, but I don't think they were given it. It wasn't a dodgy penalty for Tottenham that they gave the result. I think more so Brighton, the result was taken away from Brighton than actually given to Spurs. Semantics, Darren. I mean, look, you, you're showing your Crystal Palace colours there. Um, nine shots at home for Spurs to 17 for Brighton. Says it all. Says it all. Um, so look, let's switch focus now and talk about the battle to stay in the Premier League because the top four race looks as if it's going to go down to the wire with Manchester United and Newcastle getting victories as well. Let's turn our attention to what happened at the bottom of the table. Massive six-pointer at the King Power Stadium. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Yeah! Everton 
are still in the thick of a relegation scrap. A relegation scrap like we have never seen. And you can hear the crowd turn. That's the Leicester crowd turning. You can hear the boos. Leicester nil, Bournemouth one. And it's a result which leaves Leicester second bottom even deeper in the mire. You can see there's a lack of confidence in the team at this moment in time. So A priceless and brilliant win for Bournemouth to move them out of the relegation zone. Some seasons you can stay up with 35 or whatever it may be. I think there's a good chance that you'll need more than that this year. There goes the final whistle. The West Ham players jump up in the air to celebrate. What a huge three points for them. Ultimately, it's great that we're not near in the bottom at the moment, but it's what happens when it comes near the end of the season. You cannot believe what you're seeing. Leeds 1, Crystal Paris 5. It's absolutely unbelievable. It's another away defeat for Nottingham Forest. Ten away games without a goal as well. The most painful thing about today is that we've um, we've, we've not won again. Southampton, four points adrift of safety. They're going down. It's finished here. Southampton one, Manchester City four. Bottom three at Easter rarely are the bottom three on the dreaded drop day. Oh dear, a Leicester fan texted me on Saturday night. I am utterly miserable. And it wasn't just because they lost 1-0 at home uh, to Bournemouth. It was more to the fact that at that moment in time, they were about to appoint Jesse Marsh. 24 hours on, we get the reports that the, the talks between the two parties had broken down. Marsh is going to turn it down, apparently. Although I'm not sure that Leicester were as committed to the process after hearing the fan backlash, Crook. Yeah, I think that played a part. Absolutely, because it looked on Saturday afternoon like he would be the chosen one. There are similarities between this and, and what happened at Southampton when he wasn't willing in the end to take a short-term contract. I think he wanted a, a long deal at Leicester. I think they're still in two minds about whether to make a permanent appointment or just get someone who can steady the ship and try and keep them up between now and the end of the season when maybe they'll have a, a bigger pool of candidates, the likes of Graham Potter, come into the equation. But I think what it proves is that they didn't fire Brendan Rodgers with a plan. And that is simply unacceptable, really, when you look at the fact that a lot of Leicester fans were calling for a change for many weeks, months even. So to fire your manager and not have someone lined up to come in straight away at this stage of the season, I think is ultimately going to cost them their place in the Premier League because they're a club in a state of disarray. And you have to ask the question, they've just lost at home to Bournemouth, they're in the bottom three, they've got Manchester City next, they'll definitely lose that. So they're effectively looking for somebody to come in who's going to back themselves to save this rabble in seven matches. I don't think that's a particularly attractive proposition for anybody. Someone like Dean Smith might just be desperate enough. Is he really going to keep Leicester in the Premier League? I'd say it's unlikely. And this is where Leicester City are. And it's a, it's ridiculous, isn't it, uh, Darren, really, when you look at it? Because they've fired Brendan. They haven't got a clue what they're doing in the middle of a relegation scrap, which they look as if they, they felt, first of all, they weren't in. And now they realise they very much are in. What's the problem here? Is it the owner? Is it uh, Rudkin, the director of football? Is it the finances that have led to this situation? Or is it the fact that actually Leicester City thought that they would be able to be okay and stumble over the line without any expert help in the dugout? I think it's uh, a bit of everything that you just mentioned there. Um, at the end of the day, though, speaking as an ex-football player, that the football players are just not doing it on the football pitch. And when you've got your talisman, James Madison, make a mistake like he did at the, the, at the weekend, you, it just shows that no one is firing at that football club. We talk about teams too good to go down. You look at Leicester squad. They are. That, that's a squad that shouldn't be where they are. So you have to question the players on the pitch. They never replaced Kasper Schmeichel. I think that was huge. I think if you look at similar to West Ham with Mark Noble, he is someone, even in the dressing room, he's a leader. He knew the club inside out. Jamie Vardy is not the Jamie Vardy of old. And they've not really replaced him. They tried it with Pat Sandaka and Ian Acho. They've, they're not really a Jamie Vardy type of player. So you can question the, the recruitment as well. They've not done enough. It's been coming for a while with, with Leicester. They, they had the two finishes that were brilliant, top five, won the FA Cup. Then they dropped off a little bit and then they never replaced what what they what left the football club. So it, it's, it must be awful for the supporters to see after being on such a high for so long to then straight up. I, I agree with you. I think they're doomed. I think they could be, be the one. I, I listened to you a couple of weeks ago, Sam, and you said statistically and in, in historically, They've made the decision too late. 
And I think you're you're right there. I, I can't see them getting out of this mess. Yeah, it's not the Jamie of Art Vardy of old, is it? It's just an old Jamie Vardy now, which is a, a bit of a problem uh, for Leicester City. Um, let's talk a little bit. I mean, Johnny Evans actually said that he can sense the nervousness around the players. That's a big worry for me because once you get into that situation, you're, you're almost paralysed by fear of losing. And when you look at the games that they've got upcoming, I mean, it's frightening. Really. They've got to play Manchester City, as you've already mentioned. There's a huge game upcoming, actually, against Leeds on a Monday night, which is going to be absolutely... Uh, well, it's going to be very, very difficult. They've got Newcastle still to play as well. Oof. Um, second time that uh, Jesse Marsh has got to the position where he's just about to uh, commit and walk down the aisle with a football club and then pulled out of the marriage just at the last moment. I mean, you wouldn't go on Tinder with this guy, would you, Krug? <laughs> no, no, you certainly wouldn't. Um, but I, I can sort of understand it from his point of view. You know, maybe during the course of conversations, he wasn't convinced that Leicester were, were necessarily committed to the project. I think it was the same with certain fractions of the Southampton hierarchy as well. I mean, what is incredible is that Jesse Marsh, with his low win rate at Leeds, with the fact he took them over when they were 16th in the table, they finished 17th and he's heralded as some kind of relegation escape specialist, is that he's getting himself into a position to be able to turn down effectively two Premier League jobs. He must have a terrific agent and interview very well. Well, actually, that's a concern, isn't it, right? Because this guy's been sort of down the line with two other Premier League clubs. I would have thought that after failing at Leeds United and not particularly being popular at Leeds United, he would be desperate to get back into a Premier League job and prove that he is the kind of manager that earned such a great reputation on the continent prior to his arrival in the Premier League. So why is he turning down jobs like this? Surely, even if it is just a six-month contract or a four-month contract or a three-week contract, and he, he, he has to go in, prove himself, show how he can galvanise a group of players, keep them in the Premier League. He does that. He gets the three-year contract off the back of that. He's not going to walk in now and get a three-year contract. That ain't going to happen. So why isn't he accepting these jobs, Darren? Has he got an overinflated opinion of what his kudos and his reputation is in these circles? Absolutely, he has. Yeah, he's got an opinion of himself that that he believes in himself. He believes that he can get the best out of the team that he goes to manage. And I think he has an opinion of himself that he isn't an interim manager. He isn't a manager that has to prove himself. We all agree on this podcast, and most people do agree that I think maybe he does have to prove himself. Go in if it's a four month contract, prove what how you're good you are, keep them in the division, and then sign a free year. But he has an opinion of himself that he doesn't have to do that. Um, it, it's it's a little bit different. You have to uproot your family. He's come all the way over from, from the States, of course. So you have to uproot his family. He may feel, no, I, if I'm going to do this, I want long enough that I can, I can afford to bring my family and start a new life. And fair play to him. He obviously got a half decent whack, decent um, payoff from, from Leeds. He, he won't need the money immediately. So he's waiting for the right job to come up. And unfortunately, these two ain't, aren't the right jobs. And as you said, are many people are going to look at him now and think, you know what, he keeps turning clubs down. I'm not really going to interview him anymore. And maybe Leeds might uh, rehire uh, Jesse Marsh <laughs> after their 5-1 thrashing against Crystal Palace and their second half collapse. We spoke last week about teams in the bottom half of the table needing to pick up back-to-back wins. Leeds started very well in this game. Uh, they were absolutely bossing the hell out of it until half-time. They had several clear-cut chances. Sam Johnston making his first uh, Premier League appearance in two years, pulled off some terrific saves. And then in the second half, they collapsed. 63% of all the goals that Leeds have conceded in the Premier League this season have come in the second half. Why is that, Crook? It's a worrying stat uh, because, as you say, they started like a train. They were banging control. I think the disappointment for them heading into stoppage time at the end of the first half was that their league was only one. Then they conceded a poor goal from their perspective from a set piece. They're bickering as they head back to the tunnel and then they just don't start in, in the second half. And Crystal Palace 5 was a fair reflection on the second half. They could have had more. Elise was terrific. Eze as well. Um, Jordan Ayew Five goals in 101 Premier League games before that second half. He scored twice in a few minutes, and it, it wasn't it wasn't a freak in terms of the way that Palace played. But I would be worried about worried about that soft underbelly. I'd be worried about Javi Grazia, who just didn't seem to be able from his technical area to stem the tide. And they've got a tricky run of games, lead. So they are 
they are right in the in the thick of it here. I think if you're Bournemouth, if you're Forest, if you're West Ham, if you're Leicester, you're probably quite happy with that result because given Palace's running, they were always likely to stay up. I think if you're going to try and keep one of them in trouble, it, it would be Leeds. Um, Crook mentioned the bickering at half-time after the Gurhi goal, right? They were upset about the marking and someone playing someone onside. I can't remember who it was who dropped deep, but someone played everybody onside, didn't they? And it was a bit of confusion about the marking from that set-piece, bearing in mind that they'd threatened from three set-pieces prior to that, Crystal Palace, and have a reputation of scoring the highest proportion of set-piece goals in the Premier League. You'd have thought that, actually, that would have been an area of detail that might have been something to focus on. Um, but um, do you think that the bickering extended into the dressing room at half-time and that could explain why the second half was a collapse? Does that happen? I mean, as fans, we always think that they must go in at half-time when things have gone wrong and we'll start shouting at each other and you know, there's occasional punch-ups and stuff like that. I mean, does that really happen in actual football, Darren? Yes, absolutely it does. I've been in many uh, half-time dressing rooms where it's flared up between players uh, between staff as well. And yes, yeah, some, sometimes, more often than not, it galvanises the team. They come out into the second half. They try and prove... It's like if the manager comes in and, and gives you a right dressing down at half-time. You try to prove them wrong. In this occasion, it didn't work. It actually had the, the opposite effect on the team and they come out and completely capitulated in the second half. Not only that, in the tunnel, in the in the, the change rooms at Leeds, they are quite close. So, and when you're walking past, the Crystal Palace players would have heard and seen what was going on in the dressing room. So if you're Roy Hodgson, Paddy McCarthy and, and the players, you're saying, right, we need to utilise the situation. Now, we need to use their negative, ne- negativity as positive for us. And that's exactly what they've done. They came out, they knew Leeds were struggling a little bit. They just conceded a, a, a goal right before half-time. And they came out and dominated in the second half. And I don't think we've seen a capitulation in a side like uh, like Leeds in the Premier League this season so far. One of the biggest results that Crystal Palace have managed in the Premier League. Great quote from Roy Hodgson on the relationship between uh, Michael Elise and Eze. He said, uh, we know the music, we know the notes, now they have to play the tune. <laughs> Loved it. Um, uh, <laughs> Darren, quick word on Roy. Um, if he keeps Palace up, what should their strategy be in the summer? It didn't excite me, the appointment of Roy Hodgson. He's proven me wrong, of course. He's came in 47 shots in two games after the dismal run that they had. But as Crookie said, the run of games that they had, it was expected that they were going to pick up victories. Could be done in the next two. West Ham and Wolves, I believe. It could be done. They could be safe. But uh, I, I think he's done a remarkable job. But I don't. I wouldn't keep him. I think he would end his career, end his tenure of his palace as a legend for the things he's done for the football club. But I think you need to start again. You need to rebuild He's came in, he's released the shackles. I mean, when Wilf was fit, Wilf, Zaha, Elise, Eze and Edward, you play them four up top. I think seven games, won five, drew one, lost zero. So he knows that. He's seen the statistics. He's come in. Obviously, Wilf's gone out. Jordan Ayew's come in. And they've done exactly the same thing. No one expects them to demolish Leeds 5-1 away from home. But he's doing a fantastic job. And I think he, he wanted to right some wrongs of the, the Watford situation and probably the last year at Palace. And he's certainly doing that. And just in case uh, you thought nothing had changed uh, under Roy, um, there was a massive, massive moment on uh, Sunday afternoon where I saw Ray Lewington wearing a pair of trousers. Um, and that is always a signal that <laughs> things and times have changed. See, age catches up with us all. Uh, Ray Lewington now no longer wearing just shorts. Um, do you know, he's, I'm related to Ray Lewington in a weird way. He's, uh, he's my nan's cousin. Anyway, moving on. Um, Aston Villa wow. 2, Nottingham Forest nil. Uh, Forest now nine games without a win. Crook, no laughing. Um, Jeremy, the producer, writes on the running order today. Uh, Sam's bet not quite looking as good as Crookie's. The Crookie tipped in March, in March... Bournemouth to stay in the league. That's I think Bournemouth true. might stay in the league now, he said. It is true. I said Nottingham Forest may well recover from their position and stay in the league in September. It's a little bit braver to come out with a tip that Nottingham Forest may well get themselves out of dodge when they were firmly in it, at the bottom of the table, and had signed about 9,000 players. Then after they beat Liverpool and are going on a decent run under Gary O'Neill and go, oh, yeah, I think they might stay up now. Slight difference in terms of when you're making those predictions. But anyway, um, to have any chance of staying up is miraculous, isn't it, for Nottingham Forest? And look, they may, may not do it. 
But, you know, the fact that they've given themselves a great chance shows how, uh, you know, well coached they are. Does it? <laughs> I'm not convinced. Um, I'm not sure Maranakis... Where's those straws? I'm not sure Maranakis will be convinced <laughs> either. And you look at their running and it's so important. And I think when you made that prediction, which seemed fanciful at the time, you were banking on them having enough points on the board by now because they've got Manchester United at home on Sunday. Then they go to Liverpool. Nobody wins at Liverpool. Forest never win away. Then they've got Brighton at home. Brentford away. Southampton at home, I think, is a must-win. Chelsea away. Arsenal at home. And then Palace away on the last day. They might win one game. Nottingham Forest between now and the end of the season. Oh, they'll beat Chelsea, don't they? And that won't that. be enough. Yeah. Um, scoring away is a big problem. They've only scored five away all season. As for Villa, um, up to six under Unai Emery. He's done a very good job there. He has done well. I don't think they'll finish in the top six. I think the games are uh, in hand for the other teams around them will end up meaning that uh, European football is nicked by others in those positions. But look, he's uh, he's made them more difficult to beat. They're not the most entertaining team in the world, but they get the job done. And Ollie Watkins is scoring goal after goal after goal. Um, Manchester United beat Everton by two goals to nil. Darren, I was at Old Trafford on Saturday for the Bruno show. Um, he was given the freedom of the park just to pick the ball up and just fly it over the top of the uh, Everton defence. I thought it was negligent from Everton, who were timid compared to their performance on Monday night when they beat Tottenham Hotspur. Yes, and it's unlike uh, a Sean Dyche team to be so timid, as we as we know. He's came in and, and I think he, he'll keep them safe, of course. But yeah, they just... Talk about giving teams games. They basically gave them the result. They They had nothing really going forward. Um, and and Manchester United, yes, it's good to see Ericsson back, of course. He, he's been a huge, huge loss. Martial scoring as well. Things are looking up again for, for Alex Crooks, Manchester United. And, and, and listen, if I, being a Spurs supporter, I know you, you ridicule me saying I'm still aiming and still hoping for the top four. I think out of the four up there, it would be Manchester United that Spurs have to catch. I think the other three are probably nailed on. So, big game coming up with Spurs and United, but United dominated this game, absolutely dominated it and got the right result and it should have been more. Darren, you're living in la-la land if you think they're going to catch Manchester United. I'm sorry, <laughs> mate. They couldn't catch a cold at this moment in time. Um, Manchester United actually played really well first half. One of the best first half performances of the season, I think, at Old Trafford, Manchester United. Um, I, I disagree that Everton didn't have a, a, a threat going forward. I think they actually didn't maximise the threat that they had going forward because Ellis Sims, he sort of did okay in the game. He got himself into a wonderful position, had a great chance to score and steered it wide. Anana had a brilliant chance from a set piece and missed it. And they didn't maximise those small amount of chances that they created. And that's going to be Everton's problem because we know that their goal threat is 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 low. We know they don't create all the chances. So when they do get those opportunities, they have to take them, don't they, Crook, if they want to stay in this league? Yeah, I think it's twofold, really. Not only they they missing chances, and, and Ellis Sims has to score that one that comes his way. It's the fact they aren't as defensively resolute as you would expect from a Sean Dyche team. They were battered at Arsenal the other week, and we said then, well, Sean Dyche doesn't get battered very often in his career. And it could have been six by half-time. I didn't understand the Everton tactic of keeping such a high line and allowing United to run in behind them. So I'm not as confident as Darren Ambrose that Everton will definitely be safe under Sean Dyche. I think they will because of the three teams that are currently in the relegation places. But, yeah, defensively, I worry about them. Yeah, mainly because Dekuro was missing. So they had no one really to press in the number 10 position. They played Damari Gray there, which was a mistake. Because, actually, if you had played a Wobie in the centre, he would have given you more legs, more physicality in the middle of the park and would have sat on Bruno. The reason that the ball kept going over the top of the Everton defence and Anthony and Rashford would be able to chase in behind was because Bruno had so much room and he could just pick the ball up and just go bang over the top of Godfrey's head. Godfrey was hooked at half-time because he just was misjudging the flight of the ball. He he didn't know where it was coming from. These laser-guided precision passes going over the top of his head and he was just completely misjudging it. So Anthony was having a field day. Um, Yeah, it was. I thought it was a little bit strange, actually. And after 15 minutes, we're like, someone needs to sit on Bruno here, otherwise there's going to be a real problem. Um, Mm. Favourite moment of the week. You got a favourite moment of the week this week? Has anyone got a favourite moment of the week? Hmm. Yes, I have. Go for it. Son scoring his 100th Premier League goal uh, in a game that we should have lost. 
I mean, it's a remarkable achievement for for Son to become uh, one of the 100 club and what a way to do it. That was my favourite moment for sure. First Asian player to do so as well. So congratulations to him. And no hint of irony there uh, that that wonderful goal came in a game which, as you say, you should have lost. Uh, My favourite moment (laughs) of the week was Seamus Coleman standing over Harry Kane on Monday night, barracking him for play acting. How dare you, England captain, be on the floor, clutching your face. You're out of order. You're bringing the game into disrepute. Fast forward six days and same said Seamus Coleman, later going down in instalments under a feather touch from Bruno Fernandes, just six minutes into the game at Old Trafford, looking as if he'd been shot. He looked like an extra from Platoon. Ah, I need a free kick. Gets the free kick and then gets up and dusts himself down and cracks on. Hey, everyone was so sanctimonious, weren't they, on Monday night? Yeah, even you, shamey baby. Wolverhampton Wanderers won Chelsea nil. Frank Lampard's return to the dugout and it wasn't much different from what's gone before. Um... I, you can't pin this on Frank Lampard. I know that everybody who isn't a Chelsea fan wants to do that, and it's like the easy thing to do. But this is to do with the longer-term effects of what's been going on at Chelsea behind the scenes for ages, Crook, right? Uh, <laughs> I don't think you can give Frank Lampard a free hit. Again, you know, this is a, an interim appointment. He's, he's there to give a short-term uplift. Wolves away, a team who struggled for goals, a 1-0 defeat to start a week in which you've got to go to the Bernabeu is, is not the way that Lampard would have scripted it. But I understand what you're saying. They look like uh, they look like a mess, Chelsea. Um, players devoid of confidence, particularly at the top end of the pitch, defensive mistakes again. And I think it needs, a, it needs a massive reset. But I still don't really understand the Lampard appointment, to be honest, if you take away the, the sentimentality. They may as well have stuck with Graham Potter and, until the end of the season. I don't see it getting any better under Lampard. What's the other choice at this point in time, though? Because Luis Martinez-Enrique does not want to take it at this stage of the season. Nagelsmann doesn't want to take it at this stage of the season. Poch probably doesn't want to take it at this stage of the season either. Um, So you've got to do something. Bruno didn't want to be there. So what else would you have done? You know, bring up Brendan Rodgers and ask him to come into the club? I mean, it's it's not like it's not the ideal appointment. Let's not pretend that Frank Lampard is going to be the long-term manager of the football club. But in the circumstances, it was probably worth doing. I think the issues here really is, is the players don't look fit, Darren. They don't look fit. And, and you must know what it's like, right? I, I mean, as far as I understand it, Graham Potter was trying to manage a large group of players. And in trying to manage a, a large group of players at the training ground, they weren't really doing the sort of sessions that you require to get your intensity up because there's too many people to, to worry about. And you've got to try and keep everybody happy. As a result of that, he was using huge groups to do low-intensity sessions, that happens and you find yourself in a situation that over the course of a longer period, you lose that that that, that ability to play at that high tempo, to be in, on the front foot, to be going in and, and, and using the intensity with which a Premier League game needs, requires. Yes, I agree. They they, they look unfit uh, as, a, as a team, as a squad. And you're right, when there's so many players at the football club, players, look, Grandpa had players that thrust upon him that he didn't even want. We know that. We know that from some of the interviews. And I think this is the job Frank Lampard has to do now. He has to narrow it down to who he's going to play for the last few games. And unfortunately, the rest of them have to be sent to another group, maybe the under 23s or just a separate group with a coach. Exactly. Just to do a little, just to be happy. Yeah. And, and then the rest of them, high intensity, get their fitness up. Even if you have to do extra fitness work, you know, you've got what, eight games plus the Champions League to go. The Real Madrid is huge for Chelsea. It's the biggest game of the season. If they lose that, it's done for the rest of the eight game. You may as well play the, the kids and the you know people, the fringe players, because it's done, the season's done. So get rid of the, the dead wood, essentially. You can't get rid at this stage, but put them to one side. Let them go and train on their own and the rest of them get as fit as possible for the final run. And if you can somehow get over the line against Real Madrid, You've got a chance of winning the Champions League for sure. No, they haven't. They haven't. It doesn't matter if they get past Real Madrid. They haven't. Look, 
Crook, this is what I was saying to you the other day about the ruthlessness of Graham Potter, right? He should have just decided on the 23, 24 players that he wanted to use for the rest of the season and cut the rest, right? That's what that's what Jose Mourinho would have done. That's what Pep would have done. That's what Nagelsmann would have done. Pep would have walked in. He wouldn't care about reputation. I remember at Barcelona, he put uh, Eto and, and Ibrahimovic and Henri out to pastures. Like, you know, you can go over there. I'm going to concentrate on these guys. You know, that that's what a, that's what a top elite manager has to do because it's impossible to try and train with 30, 35 players every day. Yeah, it's fair. It's fair. Um, and maybe a manager with more experience of managing at that level would have had the courage in his own convictions to do that. Um, but I agree with you when it comes to Champions League. I mean, even if they could fluke a win against Real Madrid over two legs, which won't happen, it's then Manchester City or Bayern in the semi-final. So the, the, the season is over. Um, I guess it's a question of how low Chelsea can plummet now, isn't it? Into, you know, I made a joke last week saying, well, at least they've got enough to be safe from relegation. They've been leapfrogged now, left for dead by Aston Villa. Crystal Palace are only six points behind uh, Chelsea. Would you rule out Crystal Palace finishing behind Chelsea? <laughs> Roy Hodgson, we've chosen the, the the wrong interim. We should have got Roy in. He would have he would have produced more shots. That's for sure. <laughs> oh man, alive! Um, Brentford won. Newcastle. Oh, sorry, we should mention the Wolves goal because it was a brilliant strike from Matthias Nunes. It was it was terrific. And the best part of it was was Matthias Cunha going. Oh no, why are you hitting it? Oh right, okay, that's good. <laughs> brilliant goal. Loved it. Um, Brentford won, Newcastle two. Eventful game. Ivan Tony missed a penalty. What was that all about? Yeah, it was a collector's item. I mean, he had quite some day, didn't he? Goal disallowed for, for offside, missed penalty, and then stepped up and, and scored a penalty. But kudos to you. You predicted Newcastle would win away from home. Not many teams do go to the GTEC and come away with all three points, but they're in a tremendous vein of form at the moment. And I think they're cemented now in terms of the top four. And I was really excited to see Eddie Howe unleash Isak and Callum Wilson together in the second half of that game. What a combination yes. they could be. That changed the game, didn't it, Darren Ambrose? As a former Newcastle player and someone who uh, is definitely putting his colours to the black and white army now, um, Isak and Wilson coming out for the second half together and playing together, that actually changed the game because Brentford had a few good opportunities prior to that and threatening to sort of disrupt that top four. Absolutely. They've got three ways of playing now. Well, numerous ways of playing now, Newcastle, in terms of those two up front. You've got Isak, who likes to drift to the left-hand side, the right-hand side, makes his little runs in behind. Callum Wilson can play on his own as well, and he'll hold the ball up fantastically for midfield runners, uh, Almiron and, and Sam Maximan, people like that. And now you've got the two that can play up front. So, that, I mean, that's a, a, a fantastic headache for Eddie Howe to have. And all credit to him. He seems to be keeping particularly those two up front. I know Callum Wilson did say a little bit, you know, I was on the bench, I've had to come on and prove myself, but he seems to be keeping most players, most players, I say most players because we've all seen the Anthony Gordon clip, but he seems to be keeping most players happy with, with what he's doing at the football club. And look, when you're sat in third position in the Champions League, Ty, you've got to a cup final, why wouldn't you be happy? Why would you, why would you want to leave Ryan Fraser? Why would you want to? <laughs> that was because Eddie Howe put him on the bench down at Bournemouth. Didn't take him to any other game or put him on the bench for any other match, but then waited till he went down to the Vitality Stadium just so that he could be booed for the for 90 minutes of yeah, the game. Fair play. <laughs> uh, West Ham picked up back-to-back wins. Uh, ease their relegation fears. Uh, 1-0 away at Fulham. I predicted that result as well. Uh, actually, I'm giving myself a hat-trick of results this week. I predicted West Ham to win away at Fulham. I predicted uh, Newcastle to win away at Brentford and I predicted Brighton to win away at Tottenham and I got all three right. Um, uh, what about uh, Fulham? Have they completely given up now after the Mitrovic uh, Looks that way, doesn't it? If there's one team you want to play at the moment, probably in the top half of the table, it, it would be Fulham. It's a shame for them um, because it shouldn't detract from what's been an excellent season for Marco Silva, but you just sensed as they imploded at Old Trafford that could be the end of their season and it certainly looks that way. It looks like they're they're on the beach. looks like they've lost a bit of spark, a little bit of motivation. And I guess the issue now is to, to try and pick up a few results in their last nine games because what you don't want is a poor end to this season leading into a bad start to the next. And we've seen that happen before with newly promoted sides. 
Okay, uh, that's it from us uh, this uh, week. We've got loads of live football on TalkSport over the course of the next few days. Uh, Manchester City, Bayern Munich, Champions League quarterfinal first leg. Tuesday night, Benfica into Milan is on TalkSport 2 at the same time. Wednesday night, AC Milan, Napoli is on TalkSport 2. And Real Madrid against Chelsea. Uh, Real Madrid, Madrid 4, Chelsea 0 is on the, uh, on the network from 8 o'clock on Wednesday night in the Champions League quarterfinal. And the Thursday night, it's Ghent against West Ham. Crook and I are doing uh, uh, White and Jordan all week. Very much looking forward to that. Uh, Crook is going to try and uh, get some interviews down at Brighton on Tuesday morning. Ambrose is going to be with me that day. And uh, you know what I'll do is, is when I'm waiting for Crook to see if he can get the big interview of the week, I'm going to turn my back and look at the crowd and just not, not watch. And then when he goes up and starts speaking to someone, I'm going to turn around and cheer and then realise that he hasn't managed to get hold of Karen Matoma. He, in fact, has got another interview with Solly March. <laughs> Channel my inner Jurgen Klopp. Um, right. Thank you very much. Cheers, boys. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.